Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Mark. And together, we're the Scene Shifters. It's the name of our band. And also the name of our podcast. We're still trying to find our way in the world. So we're talking to our friends and fellow creators. To find out how. And why. They do what they do. Our guest today is Scott Sachs, a true Renaissance man. Scott rose to prominence in the mid-90s with his band Wanderlust and the hit single I Walked. You might also know a couple of his songs from later on, I Am the Summertime, featured prominently in American Pie, and he co-wrote Like We Never Loved It All, a hit that earned a Grammy Award for Faith Hill and Tim McGraw in 2006. These days, Scott's living in Nashville, still writing songs and branching out into other ventures. His latest is a short, trippy, and ultimately uplifting film about inspiration and the sometimes lonely quest to maintain artistic integrity, and it's called Playback is a Bitch. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's nice to be anywhere, you know, anywhere, virtual or not, so thank you. It's, uh, it's been a long time. Scott, I, Brandon was asking me earlier how we met, and I was saying... I believe it was 1994, and you called into WMMR radio station and requested Beach Boy Blood by, was it Dave Edmonds? Yeah, well, if it was that, I'm wondering why. Was that the name of a song? It's, it's like, that Beach Boy Blood is in my veins. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to you on the phone, and you know... Um, at the time when these things happen, um, you know it means something, but it's hard to convey that to somebody. Like, and it would probably sound weird. I'm like, yeah, I talked to this this guy, but it was like it wasn't just it wasn't. It was almost like a. It's almost like a, a romance. It's like a musical version of a or a music loving uh, version of a romance where you know we made this connection, and it wasn't like it was one of those things where like I, I think I'm gonna know. I have to find out who Mark Schuster is and I want to know what else he listens to. And I feel like I'm going to know him for, it It made, it really meant something to me. It was really like, we were psyched because we were in the um, Nirvana days and as great as they were, I, I couldn't, I didn't connect to it uh, particularly. I mean, I did later and there, you know, but that wasn't totally my thing. And just, you know, having some kind of connection with somebody that got, the Beach Boys, uh, and this is all before, you know, Pet Sounds became every other word out of a hipster's mouth. So, yeah, man, I have nothing but good memories uh, of uh, meeting you for the first time on the phone. Yeah, and it, it was that, that age, too. Well, when you could mention somebody kind of obscure, like you could say Van Dyke Parks, and that was kind of like a code word for, okay, this guy's cool. Oh, yeah, that tells you, like, a lot, right? That's like, <laughs> it's like a mile marker. Yeah, yeah. So now, so... Let's talk about your movie, Playback is a Bitch. I saw it. I loved it. Uh, like I said before, trippy and dreamlike and wild. What was, what, what was your inspiration for that? And, and what was it like kind of moving out of that comfort zone of, of writing pop songs and moving into filmmaking? When the actual film was being made, it was very uncomfortable for me. When I'm not, I'm usually the most comfortable when I'm, creating stuff so that was really uh that was a really uh, unexpected thing um and i think uh you know looking back it was because i'm not used to creating something with um more than either me or more than a band you know more than four people but even when it's a band 
I already sort of, I, I got the song together. I know the basic arrangement. It's, uh, it's not that many moving parts. Um, but it started, um, it started because um, I was recording an album of songs because I had them. And I was doing a lot of filming at Southern Ground um, Nashville, um, which is a unbelievable, beautiful, you know, used to be a church, but there's just like these little hallways of just, I don't mean engraved things on the walls. It's not a place where there's like platinum records everywhere. It's not that kind of thing. It's just, you're in like a temple of magic and wonderment, really amazing place. So I filmed bands for them and, uh, which is really, really cool and got to meet a lot of uh, amazing musicians. And so um, they were like, I, then I said, and then I called them. I'm like, Hey, I was thinking about cutting something at the studio there actually. So we did a barter thing and they were like, you know what, do you want to do it? And we, instead of paying you for your video, the video work, I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That sounds great. So I went in and made the album. And then when the album was done, I had the realization of, okay, I'm the world. Like I'm not the world, but like, I'm going to pretend I'm the world and there's the world and there's not facts. Um, and they don't care whether they know me or not. And tiny, you know, amount, I guess, know me, but uh, 99.9999 doesn't know me. But either, either way, they, um, they don't care that I'm putting an album out. I was just excited about the idea of having a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist. Just so, just, just, uh, yeah, just to give it something, a new way to release something. Let's let's have fun. Um, I believe that the cre the creativity shouldn't stop when the song is over or when you when you turn record off. I mean, I I, I keep going. I'm like, okay, how how are we going to release this? What what am I going to do? What's what can I do? You know, I just keep thinking. Um, I just keep thinking creative creatively as that goes on. And then I, and then, um, and then that was album was done, and I was formulating those ideas. And then, in a total like unrelated thing, I went over to a studio of a guy named Goffrey Moore, who um, I would just have coffee with every morning, um, and still sort of do when we can, uh, the six feet apart thing and all. But um, I was I, just totally separate thing. I just was like, you want to write something? And um, you know, honestly, first of all, he's like the only African American in the, in this like two mile radius um and i could just the way we were talking about music and he's just a groovy guy and i just like the whole thing so i was like so let's write something so i went over to his place and i said man i have this phrase i keep saying in my head playback is a bitch um and uh we wrote it i mean i kind of wrote it but he formulated you know we we put it together i had the basic concept and i just had such a great hang with him that that song was written and recorded that day. And, and so then when I left, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. What? Maybe, ah, that'll be the name of the soundtrack. I'll call it Playback is a Bitch soundtrack. And we won't, and I won't, but I won't make the, won't make the movie. It'll just be stills. And then I had the third realization of just like, well, fuck it. Why don't I just make the movie? So in the movie, the main character's name's Roller. And Roller walks around with a kite, and that a lot of the time he's dragging it around. It's he's not even flying the kite. And you know, I had my own thoughts on what that might mean, especially in terms of trying to to stay creative in this commercial-driven world of ours. But um, what what's your take on that? Where did the idea of, of the kite come from? The red balloon. 
Ah, I knew it. Um, yeah, my friend and I, um, his name is Benjamin Stranger. Um, he's just a guy I met out here. Um, it's, you know what, it's similar to the story like I was just talking about when I spoke to you on the phone. Um, you know, it, it was, it actually is very similar now that I think of it. Um, like a year and a half ago, or maybe it was two years ago, I just, some guy walked into the place or outside of a place and he had a David Bowie shirt. And it was the kind of Bowie shirt that like, like you said with Van Dyke Parks, it wasn't like uh, he got it at Target after David Bowie passed, you know? <laughs> It wasn't that. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, that guy, all right. And I was like, I think I said to him, are you a freak? Uh, and he knew what I, I was pointing to his shirt. And he's like, oh, yeah, you? I was like, lifelong. Uh, and we became fast friends. Um, and Ben has some background in film stuff. And um, he would just help me uh, assist with me on video shoots. And uh, I knew that he, he was a, a script writer and did screenplay things and um, and I, I hired him to write a script for the movie, uh, and just, I was like, can you, can you kind of like piece the songs together and make some kind of a, of a story, you know, and I get, and we took long rides together because he helped me on a Lucinda Williams shoot. And so I had two, uh, two or three Lucinda Williams shoots that I was doing, um, in Boston and not Philly, um, outside of New York, somewhere in New York state. So we had these long talks. So we were just talking about all the. He was like kind of taking notes, and I was talking about the red balloon, and um, and that's where that i that idea came from. And he was saying about uh, we were talking about uh, when you're when you're more. It, I think it became more about when you're having a yeah the the kites on the ground when your creativity is sort of on a low, the kites up in the air when it's on a high. I personally annoyingly once in a while be nice if the creativity was was on the ground so i could take a fucking breather i mean honestly honestly it's exhausting and it's it's not always fun because i think of ideas and i have this obsession with actually doing them i'm like a i'm obsessed with completion yeah i mean i have to say just for anyone listening who who isn't familiar with your work you you're just always producing it and maybe it's music uh, maybe it's a video, but there's always something coming from it. And sometimes even um, you plus your alter egos, right? I mean, uh, I, I'm thinking about Mr. Chocolate. That was a similar thing, again, where I was thinking of a different way to present it to the world. There's something about, you know what, when you, because I had the um, the Faith Hill Tim McGraw hit, you know, I, I co-wrote a song that became a, a Grammy winning song, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a that's a wonderful thing. It's, it's all wonderful, but in a bio for musician, and I would probably be the same, like you're not getting a, Oh, there's this totally unsung person and no one knows about him. And he made this album and it's super cool. You're getting a, I, for, I, it, maybe it's my paranoia, but it's like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, he's, he's writing songs. This was there and writing, he's at soundtrack that you like, He's been around, he's done this and that. So I try to kind of like disconnect myself. And Mr. Chocolate was one of them. I wasn't going to ever own up to having anything to do with that. I mean, people would know it's my voice, but I was not going to connect myself to that at all. For that sake, really, to give it a chance, I guess.
the hero of your movie is his name's Roller. And I have to admit, when I first saw the trailer for Playback as a Bitch, I, I just thought it was you. Because out of the corner of my eye, he's definitely wearing your sunglasses, I'll tell you that. And I was like, oh, it's Scott. He said, oh, wait, that's not him. So how much of you is in that character? How much of that is just kind um, of... None. I mean, really? no. Um, that's, that's, that was another... I mean, I sound like I'm having a problem with the movie. I actually wasn't, but that... Because I'm okay with letting things bother me and it's okay. Um, but while I was making the movie, that, that was kind of contributing to my, like, wait, what's going on? Um, that kind of, like, that kind of evolved in a, in, like, I, I kind of didn't notice it happening. Um, it was weird. We were just, like, working on wardrobe and stuff and talking about it. And that's Cody, Cody Brooks. I don't know if you've looked up his name as an artist, but that guy's a fucking genius. Genius. He really is. Um, he's, like, a, he is, you know... It, He's he is uh, like a he's like Tom Waits, but not he's not copying Tom Waits. That's who Cody is. Um, look him up, Cody Brooks. Fucking just did a some kind of deal with uh, Muscle Shoals, the Muscle Shoals Studio, um, um, Fame Fame Studios. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Cody and his girlfriend, who's they're a real life, uh, they're a real life couple. Um, they just dress really cool, but. I said, you know what? He needs like some kind of identifying thing, you know, so somebody can say, you know, the movie where the guy wears the da da da. You know, I always say that about songs as well. I say like a, every a great song needs to have something where somebody can go. You know that song that goes. I always tell people as far as songwriting, like you need something in the song. You know, like you can never argue with the crazy ma 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 ma. You are. That's a classic. Like you know that song that goes ma 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 ma. So that's that's where the the outfit and and the look and everything with Cody started. I was and then somebody said your jumps like when you wear that jumpsuit that's kind of defined. I'm like, yeah yeah, let's do the. T- <laughs> I didn't totally realize it until somebody said on like the middle of day one like so that's that's is this your like story and I'm like no it's it's just character and it you know there's definitely things in there but it's it's not I'm not that you know and then I'm like and then I realized. <laughs> In the you know before I kind of re-edited the film, he it, he was he was a little bit he never kind of like he never evolved in the original script. He never realized like wait a second, I'm losing sight of what's really important. Um, and it ended differently. And then I realized he's dressed just like me. And I was like, wait a second, did I just invest all this time and money into a movie to make me look bad? <laughs> so that's what happened. So so at the end of the movie. Towards the end, there's uh, this, it's, it's called Roller's Monologue. It's also on your soundtrack. And that's a Roller, he just talks about his own thoughts on, on songwriting. And, and it's, I feel like that's where the inspiration from the movie really, really takes hold. So that's, that's, is that you? Like, is that your thought, your thoughts on songwriting? It's basically, the, that end monologue is kind of like the, the movie... I was going to, the whole movie was going to be kind of what that monologue is. That's what that monologue is. And I, I love it now, but I was before that monologue, I was like, well, what's, where's the, where's this coming from? And what is it? And what are we talking about? And is he just going to be bitter for eternity? And, you know, you've talked about, you've talked about songwriting a lot. Um, but one of the things you mentioned recently 
uh, you and I were just going back on and forth on Facebook. You said that your songs are like comfort food, which I thought was a really cool observation. Uh, so what, what is the thing? What is the, like, what for you, what makes songwriting so important? I found a video uh, over, you know, you know how like when the pandemic kicked in, everybody was like, they're like, I found a cassette from when I was not, you know, like all of a sudden everybody had this time on their hands and they were like rooting through bother. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, also, we didn't know it was going to last for what is it, eternity. Um, so you figured like, oh, this will be like a novelty kind of thing. And I'll root through my old boxes. Um, um, and I did the same thing. And I have a friend named Patricio Johnson that digitizes um, kind of whatever you can find. He'll digitize that shit. So he digitized all these old little high eight tapes, super eight tapes, some of them were. And um, one of them was uh, Bachelor Number One, right when the American Pie soundtrack came out, which was the, that was my band right before Feel. I hadn't listened to that or thought about that really or looked at it since then. And um, so I hit play in the car and like, that's what I love about songwriting and why, it me, why it's important to me is that that completely medevaced me <laughs> back to 1999 or 2000, somewhere around there. I think 1999. Um, and it is when I was listening to those songs, I'm like, man, I remember that. And that was such that, you know, it makes it more, I don't know, maybe it validates things that, you know, things that you feel you, you can't see them. And I find conveying anything very, very difficult for me, unless it's through songwriting or a drawing or anything like right now. And I, I read this, um, you know, somebody said this similarly and I really connected uh, with it. It was, um, it was the guy that wrote Stripes. Uh, what was his name? Oh, he's so funny. It's not, not Bill Murray, but it was like... Um, Harold Ramis? Yes. He's in, uh, if you check it out, uh, Judd Apatow uh, has a great book about all the interviews that Judd Apatow did. But Harold Ramis talks to them about it. And you know, Harold Ramis said something in there that I really connected with, which was like, even as soon as you say something, it now is not at all what you were trying to... It's nothing like what you had in your head. Um, I feel that way now like literally right now where i'm like yeah do i sound like a complete like ego asshole or do i sound somewhat interesting i tend to think i sound like you know something that isn't good but i i have a difficult time i have a difficult time conveying it when i write it it's a lot closer it makes me feel uh, one of my um you know big um, uh, obstacles in life is connection I had a very difficult, I had a pretty difficult childhood, uh, mentally, emotionally. Um, it was a really rough uh, growing up in the house I grew up in. And I really could only connect to myself and I hold up in my bedroom and did pretty much what I do now. Um, I had guitars and I had drums and I had pictures and I had Polaroid camera and I would write on the bottom of it. I wanted to make it like an Andy Warhol thing and I tried like mixed media thing and so I could connect with myself. And in life in general, I, you know, being able to connect to uh, people is, I, it's difficult uh, for me because I can't get it all out of my head and I don't like exactly 
I don't know. I just, I can connect in a comedic way, as you've seen. That's easy, but that's not a connection. It's not actually a connection for me. It's just, I do my thing. They get a kick out of it, maybe. And then I go do another thing. And that's been, it's actually been the subject of this, um, uh, a lot of this pandemic time. I've really been really working on um, getting more of a connection with myself and with other people. Um, and that's not through song. That's not through the arts. And it's really fucking tough for me to walk into a room like a normal person, so to speak, and just say, hi. Like, I, it's bizarre. Like, I can't do it. I went to get my, drop my, uh, yeah, car off to get a hitch for this camper we're going to get. And it was like, it was like I, it was on Johnny Carson and they said, come on. Out. I mean, I just go into like this showman thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know, it's pretty, I think it's pretty straight. It's enjoyable a little bit for me, but not a lot. But it's what I do. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is there's the performance aspect means you're always, your go-to move is to put up a wall as yeah, yeah. opposed to open a door, if that makes sense. As opposed to what? Oh, yeah. To a door. It is, it is. It's a really, yeah, because you can't, it's, it's a, you know, a, it's like a stage. You know, if somebody gets up on a stage while there's a performance, they get dragged out of the, you know, the police take them away or security takes them away so you're right it is a it is a it is a this is i'm here and you're there and i'm gonna do this thing um you know my family not my my family but you know my my mom is addicted to watching television addicted i mean like more than anyone i've ever met um and that's her it's interesting that's her escape um and and it's interesting that my thing became a showman so I'm sure there's some psychological thing of like trying to be the entertainer for my mom who's not giving me attention and, you know, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. It makes for, uh, you know, it makes for a lifetime of nonstop creativity, um, but it also makes for um, it also makes for a life that could be more uh, enjoyable on the day to day and and. That's something that's like, oh, yeah, that may, that's important. Maybe I'll think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, talking about all this, and especially mentioning your childhood, I'm thinking about another recent album of yours, and that was Drawing From Memory. And I can almost picture a really young Scott Sachs just kind of, like, losing himself on, um, like, I'll just just listening to the radio in the 70s because that yeah. album is such a just a loving tribute to to 70s rock and I, I just like can you am i right about that i mean is it what's what's going on with that album yeah it it well that record has the thing that i i've uh, my favorite albums are what i call bedroom albums they're albums that that are you know for they're not necessarily um summertime time sunroof down albums um, they are, uh, they're as com they, 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 they feel as comfortable. They feel, um, there's, there's, it tends to be albums that have almost no production. Um, and the, I would, I'll say the following are some of my all time favorite albums that have no production, um, blood on the tracks. Even more than that is Dylan's new morning album, which I've, I just, it's, I, I, it's, I more than like love it. I, I just feel comfortable 
Um, and um, I feel like, like there's like, I feel safe listening to New Morning. There's not even, the interesting thing about that album is like, there's not even like compression on it. So like if he sings louder, it gets louder. If there's a popped P, you'll hear it. Um, and I feel, I feel like that's the most that I've ever felt in a room, you know, with the artist. Um, Wildflowers is definitely in that category. Um, 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 the Who, um, of all, of any, I think the only Who album that I would put in that category is Who by Numbers. That's, that's the only bedroom album they've ever made because that's, that's the least uh, testo- uh, I don't mean, to, do I mean testo- yeah, testosterone-fueled album. Um, you know, red, blue, red, and gray, and imagine a man and all that stuff. So that was, yeah, as far as the sound of um, drawing from memory, it's, it's all that stuff. It's, it's real strings, first of all. That was, I think, the first time I ever in my life had real strings on an album. Um, and that's a girl named Kristen Weber that's just a delight to be in the room with. And she's played with Casey Musgraves, and she did a thing for Dolly Parton, and she's this 20-something, you know, girl that's really cool and and um i'm so glad i involved her in that because i love that sound uh so much and so she did the real strings and um i did the whole album in my home studio i had southern brown uh, brandon bell mix it so i it's all recorded in a very cozy warm one room atmosphere and then mixed it like a bigger studio um and it was a real personal album i'm really proud of, of that record and i really I, i'm really glad that it that it stood out to you because it stands out to me as it's not that to me as not a showman album it's i'm not there's no i'm not doing any shows in it that's like a pretty brutally honest um album yeah i think that one and your album i'm in a mood also that that i, I mean if you want to talk honest that album is uh, of yours is extremely honest, especially, I mean, just, just the title track alone, this idea of, I mean, really on that one, you're, you're saying to my mind, um, Hey, I, I look like this fun loving rock and roller on the outside, but uh, some days I'm down and not many people, not many people sing about that. Right. I know it's funny. I, 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 uh, it's almost like I have to, I have to, um, it's almost like if I open that door to real truths, it's a lot, it's a lot deeper than it would be if I, um, open the door often, you know, if I open the door a little bit, um, you know, like John Lennon, I'm just a jealous guy, you know, um, but he had already done help. He was already opening the door yeah. a little bit. And then when he, then he fully opened the door on, you know, um, I don't believe in Beatles and all that stuff and that whole album. Um, and I don't open the door um, all that much. And um, yeah, I, that is the thing. I, ha- I do have, um, I do have this like, yeah, I, I can get in a, in a really, it's when I, it's the only time I really lose, I tr- I only truly lose my sense of humor when I'm really scared or I'm really, um, or I don't know, something sets me off. And I've had that happen, uh, you know, more times than I wish it did. And um, I wrote that song in one of those moods. It was like, and I, I had the inability to, to flower it up any. I had the inability to even, you know, be 
get all clever uh, with the words. It is brutal because when I am in that mood, I, I really don't have my sense of humor. And I am in the, you know that, uh, I think the expression is fuck everybody. <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets to that point, right? Like even the most amazing people where you're just like, you know what, fuck everybody. Um, and that's what that, that kind of mood is. So not to end on a downer no, like I, that. I, I, feel uh, good. I mean, I do. That feels good to like, this is like a emotional colonoscopy. That's, oh, that's that should be the uh, subtitle of our podcast. Speed shifters, emotional colonoscopy. That could be the name for, of the whole podcast. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but here's the thing. I, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like I remember I was listening to WXPN once and a DJ said, it was probably like one of their noon lunch things. And he said, I want songs about motorcycles. Oh, yeah. and I'm going to, and 
And I feel like you heard that as I was listening and you called up and you said, I heard what you wanted and I just wrote the and recorded the song within the past hour. Can you play it? Am I, I am I remembering that I have it on my Bandcamp page? Yeah, it's called it's called uh, Mullet Man. <laughs> okay. I think it was like they said, I think Mullet was in there too. Motorcycles and Mullets or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 yeah. It was like I think it was Dan Reed, and um, yeah, I have that superpower. I don't know if it's it doesn't do anybody any good, but I can. I, that's a part of what. That's part of like my my self uh, abusive insanity, which is like, I can uh, the way they say the thing about a dog. You know, if I could, I would too. I, I can. You know, my studio is about sixty yards from where I'm sitting right now. And I can go in that room, make up a song, record all the instruments, upload it, take a picture. I can have it on TuneCore and then Spotify. You know, I, I think when I heard that story uh, many, many, many years ago about Instant Karma, I was like, yeah, why not write it, record it, and release it within 24 hours? I, it doesn't, I never totally understand what takes other people so long. Um, and that's part of my problem and part of my, you know, my gift. Um, but it's, but I just can't, um, take that long, uh, to do things. And I'm, it's so tempting, but I am trying to learn. The thing is, it's a, it's a buzz to do that. I get a buzz off. That's my, that's a magic trick for me, you know, as well. So it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, what's that add up to? I don't know. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, I kind of like to do that, but I, I have found like, in my Warner Chapel days in Los Angeles, you know, like, they would send everybody like, okay, y'all get eight hours and come back. And at the end of the day, you know, and not only did I write the song with the other person, but I recorded it and I made a label for the CD. And I don't know, I was just, I couldn't stop. Um, that is a little psychotic, but at the same time, the reason that that, um, the Faith Hill Tim McGraw, song the reason that that is you know one of my sort of big accolades um is um other than the song which i'm really proud of i wrote i wrote it with john rich and vicky mcgee other than that um i recorded it that day and i had john sing it sing the demo and when he left he had a cd in his hand with a total ready to play demo of that song um and that's when it was really helpful to to do that you know to to do the to do the whole thing. Wow. That's just, uh, I, so it's, I mean, it, it does, it sounds like it's a bit of a double-edged sword there. It is. It's, it's great for, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's great for a, I used to, my thing that used to be that it occurred to me at some point, you do you live for your, I can live for my life or live for the bio. And that really was a thing with me. Like, and I, most of my life, I would say, I, you know, lived for the bio. I don't, that stopped, you know, when I met Susie, because I, I realized that uh, your life can get really stressful if you don't um, pay attention to it. And my bio was really getting pretty great around 2010 or 2009, you know, or eight. Yeah, 2000, maybe it was 2008. The bio was looking great, and I was really proud of myself, and I was, it was exhilarating times, but my life was horrible. Uh, and how I felt was horrible, and um, you know that's where I'm. I'm um, 
you know, kind of unlearning. That's where I'm kind of like getting out of that room where I can get my quick buzz from recording something and learning to learning to enjoy and and um, learning to to do things that I know actually make me feel better as a person, not quick quick uh, shots of of like heroin. You know, for me, it's like. I mean, I have a Ludwig kit right in there, and I have a song that I wrote recently called um, uh, "It's a uh, Tomorrow Where'd You Go." I'm certain I don't know, I don't know. Uh, and the whole thing is that it's like one of those like mid '70s Beach Boys. Yeah. Carl Wilson. We have all the time and money in our hands, and we're just going <laughs> to write a 10-minute song like that. And I'm dying to like lay the drums down on that and just feel the, that ride symbol, but it'll be better for me to go take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well on that note, Scott, it's been great talking to you. Where can our listeners find, uh, find your music? The best place really is, um, the, I mean, Spotify is there, but the place that has like all of it is uh Bandcamp, scottsax.bandcamp.com. One T and Scott and an X for sax. Scottsax.bandcamp. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Scott, thanks again. Thanks so much for being on our show. I love talking today. It's, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Same, man. Thank you. Thank, thanks, both of you. Thanks for joining us today on Scene Shifters. We leave you today with the title track from Scott Sachs' film, Playback is a Bitch. See you again soon. You said it and sang it, you did it, admit it. Which is which? <laughs>